Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. There's an image I like to repost on social media every so often. It's an old black and white picture from the early 20th century, a picture of a man on his hands and feet in a tabletop position with his chest and hips to the sky. This man is clearly no stranger to weightlifting and building up his body as evidenced by the muscles bound from his shoulders and legs. Laying across his abdomen is a giant solid cinder block, likely weighing near 100 pounds. Standing above this man is another man with a giant sledgehammer in mid-swing toward the giant concrete block. I usually caption this image when I post it with a simple phrase, we are so soft. I can't help but feel extremely weak when I look at a picture like this, but even my comment calling us soft will get several negative comments in response. So everyone who follows you is soft? Nice job painting with a broad brush on your audience. The irony of these interactions is magical. But the larger point I'm trying to make is that yes, we as a generation of men are much softer than those who came before us. But why? We live tragically comfortable lives, that's why. Most of us live in abundance compared to these past generations. And on top of that, for decades now, the media we consume, the government, and even our churches are discouraging the building of true, strong, masculine men. And if you look pretty much anywhere, you'll see that they did their jobs. So what's the solution? My guest today is Eric Kahn, a friend and repeat guest of the show. Eric is host of several podcasts, The King's Hall, Hard Men Podcast, and Wilderness Warrior. In our conversation today, we try to come up with solutions to all of these issues I've previously listed. How do we create media for Christian men that isn't cheesy? How do we find a gang of men and cause some trouble for good, as Eric says? And how do we teach physical strength and health from a church and pastoral perspective? We get into all this and more in today's episode, so enjoy today's conversation on the Nomad Strength Show with Eric Kahn. Welcome to the Nomad Strength Show. I'm joined today by return guest. Uh, there's only been a couple of return guests. You're one of the like first guys to come back on the show. Uh, Eric Kahn, 
Hardman Podcast, Kings Hall Podcast. I mean, your media stuff all over the place. So uh, welcome back, man. How are you? Dude, I'm doing good. What an honor. A, a return guest. So <laughs> I feel like I'm in elite company here being back with Ross. I mean, it's what can it's I even you, say to that? It's you and Brandon Lilly and Christian from Archery Strong, I think, are like the oh, other two. Yes. Oh, and Greg Walsh. Greg Walsh from Wolf Brigade has been on twice. So it's like there's literally only a few of you guys so far. But Dude, you've had, uh, uh, you've had some banger shows. I mean, didn't you even have uh, Stephen Pressfield on? I did not have Pressfield on. I've had Jack Carr twice. Jack Carr um, twice, Jack, man. Jack Carr's been on twice. Um, I tried to get Pressfield, and it was right at the tail end of his whole book tour for Man at Arms. Oh, and yeah. And so he was like, so he's pretty, all busy. He was pretty burnt out. Like he was right at the end of his whole promotional <laughs> tour, and he's like, I'm pretty smoked right now. Like I'm gonna put out another book. Let's schedule it for that one. <laughs> so I'm like, deal. Yeah, I'll reach yeah. out then. <laughs> But no, yeah, that's man, awesome. it's been good. And it's been fun to see all of the, I mean, cause you had, you started hard man podcast, not about not too long before I started this one, but then you guys have since started uh Kings hall back this winter or so like that, which is one of my favorite ones that I've been listening to, uh, since it came out. So how's all the, how's all the stuff with all of your projects been going since we last talked? Yeah, it's been really good. I mean, I feel like I have about 150 podcasts under my belt. Uh, <laughs> different, different, completely different podcasts. But yeah, no. So yeah. we've got the King's Hall. We've got Hardman Podcasts. Uh, Dan Burkholder and I do Wilderness Warrior Podcasts. Oh, that's right. You have the Wilderness Warrior one. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And then uh, Brian and Lexi Sauve do Bright Hearth, which is sort of like uh, household mm-hmm. uh, type stuff. So that's been really good. I've I'm not as involved with that one, but, um, you know, it's part of our network. So that's been cool. Sure. So yeah, we've, uh, we've definitely, uh, we've had quite a few, uh, good shows and good guests and, uh, a yeah. lot of fun topics, which I think the really cool thing for me is, and I'm sure you would say the same thing, right? Is when you see that, you know, what you're saying, your content, whatever it is, a good interview, when, when it's impacting people's lives, mm-hmm. right? And people saying, Hey, that actually helped me. So that's kind of been the coolest, I think the coolest part of it, just seeing the impact. Where with the network do you guys imagine this? I mean, like, because it, it kind of seemed like it, you went from one to five podcasts on it, like, <laughs> pretty quickly. So are you are you trying to develop this thing out as a network, so to speak? Yeah, I think so. You know, a lot of it was just sort of the natural progression of, like, what I always tell guys, get get your gang of guys together and you can make some yeah. trouble uh, for good. And yeah. uh, so, you know, we we got together, Dan Burkholder and Brian Sauve and I, and we, we just started this ideation process. Um, I had already had the Hardman podcast and I was kind of telling them, I was like, man, you'd be surprised. Like media, you can really outpunch your weight class. Um, you can get your message to more people mm-hmm. and have just tremendous impact through media. And so we started kind of brainstorming about a year before it happened, year and a half before it happened. Um, and then we eventually started the King's Hall podcast. Um, and then just through that process, like I remember just being at Brian and, and Lexi's house, um, you know, eating steak. And uh, we were talking about the home and Lexi, would, she just had all this great content about the home. And I was like, I don't know if you guys have time, but uh, we should, uh, you know, you should do a podcast. Um, just mm-hmm. talking about Christian marriage and, you know, how, how to faithfully rear children, kind of get into the nitty gritty. Because I think one of the things that we've done, there's good content out there, right? The, mm-hmm. In books and stuff like that. 
But what I think what we try to do from a pastoral perspective is let's break this down, make it step-by-step, practical, um, where the average blue-collar guy can understand it, and then sure. he can implement it in his life. So if, you know, we've tried to have content that's like if, if you want to have a really robust, strong, small business, here are the principles you need to be thinking through. Um, if, if you want to find a great community, if you want to build your household. So hopefully it's been, you know, just good tools like that. I think that we've, we've tried to, to give people and then, yeah, that kind of, that kind of blossomed. And as we started to put that together, we were like, well, you know, this really is kind of a network. Um, we didn't necessarily set out to do that, but that's, that's sort of what we have now. And so we sort of just embrace that. Well, and it's cool because like you said, it, it, it really lends itself to expansion because once you get into one, you know, you, you mentioned like small business stuff, like once you get into one area where you're like, what's, what's the way we want to, like you said, pastorally talk about this. It's like, well now what about every other aspect of life? Like yeah. right, there's, I mean, there's, there's potential for content in every single one of those things. And it's tough to oh, like, yeah. if you only had one, like if you guys were only running one single podcast, like you'd never be able to cover all of that stuff in one of them. So it's like, how about we do these, you know, mini series or, or micro content series of other podcasts that are very content specific. And, uh, it kind of helps build it out, you know, like a network. I, I just, you know, my, my first thought in, in an analogy way as to what like Canon press does like where there's just so much stuff out there that they've got and created, which is just killer stuff. I mean, like even from a, I was looking at, I was going back through just kind of scrolling through some stuff the other day, like even from just a technology perspective, like the stuff oh, yeah. that they're, it, the stuff that they're doing is like as fluid functionality wise as like Netflix is. And you know what I mean? Like it looks like you're scrolling Netflix with how well yeah. put together and all that stuff is. And then with how well put together all the content is too. Like, I just think there's, there's so much desire and opportunity for that kind of content that, I mean, it's really kind of just seems like it, it's right at the beginning stages of what that could be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Canon's a good example because it's like you, you, the last couple of years, last decade, you know, you look out and you're like, okay, well there's Netflix and they're like, you know, they've got, some honestly really the problem with Netflix is they got like really good programs and a lot of stuff that I would watch and then they've got like I don't know like the, the, their whole blow up was like grooming little children you know the little like yeah. beauty pageant for children type stuff yeah. um, so I think what a lot of people realized Canon Press included was hey we could use a lot of the same principles with media we could apply that to Christian media but then really view it as like if you get the Canon Plus app it's really about like this whole stable of resources for Christian life. So, yeah. you know, my wife loves it. She can listen to Nancy or Rachel or some of the girls as they're talking about, you know, it, it could be like how to get better at hospitality or something like that. You know, you could, um, you could listen to um, uh, just these incredible sermon series. They've got stuff from David Chilton on the book of Revelation. So mm. their stuff is really just across the spectrum. And so, yeah, we did. We looked at a lot of that stuff and said, hey, this is great. But also places like Daily Wire, Blaze Media, um, yeah. you, you just kind of take those concepts of, hey, fundamentally you got to have a great show with a good host, and then you need a couple of them. And if you can build those out, um, you're able to kind of pool resources. And then it also becomes something that you can, like for advertising, you can obviously sell against more 
uh, bandwidth for you know you have more page sure. views collectively. Sure. Um, so yeah, you you can be you become po- more powerful in, in a number of ways by doing it. So where do you? Because one of the things I loved, I think it was last week's. Was it last week's King Saul? You guys were talking about like content and media and art and that kind of stuff. And yeah. uh, one of the things I I thought was just hilarious in the conversation was that uh, so much Christian media is just really cheesy and, yeah. and like campy and like that's the best we've come up with for a lot <laughs> for a long yeah. time. You know, like that's how it's been put forth. So it's cool to see the different ways like with canon like with um and now i don't remember which there's so many wilsons man i don't remember which which one it was that's doing like the nature documentary oh and yeah that that's yep. on there and i'm like there's stuff like yeah, that, that that there's yeah there's that there's so many there's so much opportunity for like just content that is real stuff it doesn't have to be like i think the example you use was like the facing the giants movie (laughs) but like it doesn't all have to it doesn't all have to be like that kind of content so like how is that something that you guys are like how, how do you actually go about doing something like that without it feeling like it's getting pulled too much into what the worldly stuff is you know what i'm saying yeah i think part of it is um you know, we, we kind of start from a foundation of, A, we, we just want to create content that we ourselves would love. Um, yeah. So even with Hardman Podcast, it's like I was just looking out at the world and saying there's a lot of cheesy, like, Christian or otherwise content for men. And there's, like, pop psychology and stuff like that. But I looked at it and I said, what do I feel like is missing for me? Like, mm. um, you know, just, like, how to be a competent man, how, how to actually practically deal with difficult issues like pornography? How do you teach your sons about that? Um, uh, Just a a range of stuff. And I said, what do I not see out there? And what do I wish I had? So then I started formulating, well, I'm going to go create what I think that content should be. And obviously I think people, you know, people respond to that. But the other part of it too is I think that, um, you know, we've had to, what you have to do, like we're like bootstrapping it, right? So you have to scale, right? We're, we're not going to be able to go out and create like a killer documentary day one because those things cost, you know, like a cheap, good documentary would be like 250 grand, right? Yeah. And and you got like equipment and all this other stuff. And, it, and like, we realize we're not there. So, you know, we, the culture sort of people have moved away from blogging, I think. There's still some of that. Yeah. But, but, you know, the medium right now is podcasting. And uh, one of the cool things was it's it's like, it's not horrendously difficult to get into, um, you have to invest in some things like, um, you know, your equipment, uh, stuff that we're using today, but, but sure. it's not 250 grand, you know, you, you could spend a thousand bucks and maybe even less and have a pretty yeah. decent workable, uh, podcast setup. Some of the good mics, you know, are a hundred bucks now. So I think um, that's my, really I think cool. Everything on my whole setup, including the GoPro camera, I'm in like four fifty five hundred $500 total for everything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's and, and relatively nothing. Yeah. And when you listen to this, like, you won't be able to tell the difference between, I mean, like, I can listen to Joe Rogan on Spotify or I could listen to your podcast and it's like, I can't really, you <laughs> seem to be not high and Joe is. Um, but other than that, what, what, you know, sound quality, yeah. uh, same, same sort of deal. So, yeah, I think that was kind of the, the thing that we got into. You can do, uh, 
this kind of the beauty of our age, right? People complain about technology and then, you know, all the downsides of it, but there's some good sides too. Um, you can multiply yeah. good messages really easily and fairly cheaply. Like us signing up for Riverside and Buzzsprout to get our podcast out, I'm pretty sure it's cheaper than building the Gutenberg Press and the first Bible that Luther printed, right? Like <laughs> right. we have an advantage here. So so that's kind of where we said, okay, let's use that. Amazon, we, we intend to get into some books, Amazon Publishing. Um, Amazon is like, in one sense, like the devil, but it's also right. made it really easy to self-publish and make, make some decent money doing it. So we're, yeah. we kind of looked at that and we're like, okay, we can get into these games. And then what's what's accessible, you know, you continue to build, you get funding, all that sort of thing. But 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 I think part of it too is like looking at um, Dan and I spend a lot of time hunting, uh, thinking yeah. about like how to train boys to be men, um, sort of the old Boy Scout model, that sort of philosophy of of you know training and maturing men from boys. And mm-hmm. so like we're thinking like, well, what were the books that shaped us? You know, you think about like the Hatchet, Gary Paulson's The Hatchet. Well, why couldn't we write books like that? Not, honestly, I went back and read The Hatchet, and I was like, this guy clearly has some connections in the publishing world because this isn't like <laughs> rocket surgery. <laughs> Boy in plane, plane crashes, I have a hatchet. And then all this weird stuff happens. We're like, that's not actually very realistic. Right. Um, <laughs> so anyway, you know, there, there's all sorts of stuff that we intend to kind of get involved in and and really just say, like, you know, what would I want? What kind of content would, would I want to consume? Yeah, and I think the seeing the the different opportunities that are available for that, like when you started doing, I think you did a couple of episodes on yours uh, on Hard Men recently, talking about like testosterone and and hormones and that kind of stuff. And th- from personal experience, that's something I've like I like never see in yeah a lot of Christian media circles. Like he- I mean, even just health in general is not something that's really covered or talked about at all not even not not to mention talked about well in my opinion you know yeah yeah that's exactly right like some people will talk about it like i remember rick warren had this like oh he had like this diet book that like their church put out and it was just laughable you know (laughs) it was like step one to dieting pray about the food you now i'm not saying don't pray you know before a meal I'm not saying that, but it's like, okay, well, if you, like right now, if you really want good advice on hormones, it's not going to be in the church. Like you got to go listen to Andrew Huberman or I'd even encourage people, like you're going to have to take things from different people, but some of the, uh, you know, the primal eating, the carnivore stuff, they have some good insights. I don't embrace all of it, but it's like, that's where you're going to have to go outside of the church. And what's interesting yeah. is when, when I would start talking to uh, Christian men and figuring out like what's going on in their lives, because um, here's the deal. People don't understand like Christian men are, are they're men. And so like, they're not like, I, I think people think like if you pray and read your Bible that somehow like the laws of hormones and food and health don't apply to you, <laughs> which is just utterly nonsense. Right. But imagine, you, you know, you're I'm, I'm counseling all these young men and it's like, they're just apathetic and they, they don't feel, they don't have drive. Um, and, and then, and then this has come up because of like Andrew Huberman. I started to listen to him and, and hormones. And now what I tell the young guys when I'm counseling them is, man, go get your, your, your blood panel done, get your testosterone checked, all your other levels. Dude, I'm sure you've seen the same thing. People come back and they're like, yeah, I, my, I have like abysmally low 
testosterone. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my cortisol is through the roof. So I'm stressed out all the time. You know, you look all these indicators and you're like, well, if we're going to help this guy be a healthy whole guy, yeah, we want to encourage him to read his Bible and study the scriptures. We want to encourage him to be disciplined in, in those things. But fundamentally, we're going to have to talk about what kind of water are you drinking? What kind of food are you eating on a daily basis? And and sure enough, as you start addressing those issues, what do you know? This guy's ready to take charge of his marriage and his life, and he's ready to be a, more of a go-getter in his workplace. So again, I think it's the way God made everything that you can't separate any of it. Like if you have poor hormone health, well, that's going to impact everything else that you do, spiritual or otherwise. And there's never, I, I guess I shouldn't say never, but rarely in a, in a church setting is there good examples like to learn from, like, you know, even at yeah. the, at the, like the pastoral level or anything like that, there's, there's rarely good examples of like men that are really strong and healthy and fit and like live that as well, where, you know, that's the whole point is like, you're, you're learning from a teacher in the same way. And it's like, well, there's I yeah. have nobody around me. That's a good example of that. And that's part of like the, <laughs> you said earlier, like get your group of gang, you like your gang of guys together, you know, like you got to find those guys that are going to push you to do that kind of stuff and be strong physically. I mean, like we want to try to, you know, maybe not on this podcast, but I, I, you know, in, in a lot of Christian circles, like, like you said, the physical and the, the health part is just either overlooked or ignored, honestly, like kind of maybe on purpose because there's like this, Oh, what are you doing with your health? And it's like, well, you know, I, I'm focusing, I'm not focusing all my time on myself. Like, it's not about me. It's, you know, like it's yeah. that kind of, it's that kind yeah. of message. I'm like, okay, well, let me know how that goes in a decade, you know, when you're paying out the mouth for hospital bills and that kind of stuff, you know, and there's yeah. it's just the basic health conversations that you have. Like, it's either you have, you know, you, you invest the time and resources up front to do that now, or it's going to be tenfold later on to take care of disease, you know, and yeah, that's, that's right. Conversation you got to have. <laughs> well, and you look at you look at the majority of like pulpits uh, in America, and so pastors, and it's like, I mean, you know, I hate to pick on him, but but I guess I will because he's so prominent. But you look at somebody like Rick Warren; it's like the typical boomer pastor where he's you know probably sixty plus pounds overweight, um, you know, and and mm-hmm. and so are they going to preach on like physical health very often? No. And, and right. what I've said is th- there's like this inherent Gnosticism and pietism where more or less what that means is the body doesn't matter. The physical, the material doesn't matter. It's just yep. your spiritual. Um, and we've seen this throughout history in different philosophies. You know, Plato is a bit like this. And uh, all, although those guys were like in the gym wrestling, so, you you know, <laughs> right. balance it out. At least they were taking care of their bodies. But yeah, and then I think a lot of young guys um, are saying, no, I think actually... I do want to take care of my body. And then those same pastors are like, why are you so vain? Why are you so fixated? Now, now some of them can be vain. Like if right. every day is like a gym selfie of your abs or something. Um, <laughs> right. but, but I remember in one, uh, in the Midwest, I was uh, going to this one church and I was, it, it was just so shocking because they would, they would always be like, oh, I can't believe you go to the gym. Like, you're so vain. And I never talked about it. I wasn't taking selfies. I was just, I like to work out and I'm trying to take care of my right. body, you know? And uh, one time the pastor told me, he said, 
you see this other pastor? He's like, him and I, when we try to hug, our bellies are so big that we can't get our arms around each other's shoulders. He's like, that's what you should aspire to. These are men who, and this is what he said. He's like, these are men with gravitas because we, we actually weigh a lot. And I was like, uh, you're going to die soon. And I mean, <laughs> these guys weren't even like that old, but it was oh like they'd gosh. sit in a chair and be like talking to a congregant or whatever. They'd be like talking to another person in their chair for like five minutes. And then they'd be, you could tell like their hips are falling apart and they're, yeah. oh, I got to get up and move and you know, take some pills because I can, you know. And I, I'm sitting there thinking like, man, take care of your body. Like Paul, the Apostle Paul said, it's a valuable, yeah. you know. I buffet my body. I, I always I always wonder too if Paul was, you know, Paul's looking at the gymnasium and he's saying, I buffet my body. I'm like, was, <laughs> was Paul doing like Brazilian jiu-jitsu or something? Because <laughs> that would be pretty cool. <laughs> Little speculation, but he, he clearly awesome. had thought about it, you know? Right, right. Well, and I mean, even with him, he makes several like athletic analogies in his writing. I mean, like that was not, you know, there's, there's multiple of those. So, I mean, like it, it's not absent on purpose, you know, like it's supposed yeah. to be a part of what it's, it's all, everything goes together with all of it. Well, and it's funny cause he says, and Paul will say, you know, physical training has some value. It has value. Right. But spiritual training has eternal value, which I get, I follow that. But the way moderns read that is physical training has no value. Right. And you're like, well, that's not what he said either, though. You know, right. we, we do have to take care of our bodies. And look, you know, I think this is why the church has lost so many men. Um, in America, you know, it depends which figures you look at, but 75, 80% of the church is women. I think because men inherently are going to care about their bodies. They want to use them out in the world. They want to build things, businesses. They want to watch sports, participate in sports, use their bodies for, you know, hunting and physical pursuits and working on cars and all sorts of things. So when you go into the church and they're like, no, it's just about your emotions and your quiet time with Jesus, who sounds a lot like a boyfriend. Yeah. Most dudes are like, yeah, I don't think so. I'm not yeah. really interested in that. Yeah. And then, you know, it's the like, well, you're not going to take any of this with you anyways. So what's the point? Yeah, <laughs> like, it, there's that whole mindset where it's like, well, none of none of this, like you said, materialism stuff, like none of this really matters at all. Because yeah. it's like, well, that's not true, though. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta focus on those kind of things from just a produ productivity standpoint. Like, how much more useful and helpful are you gonna be able to do to be in your world in your community? when you're healthy and strong. I mean, like, that's just, that, that to me, and I understand I, I am, I live in that world. So it's, I, I think about it differently than a lot of, a lot of guys that aren't, but it's like, that just is the most common sense thing in the world. It's like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm more useful to my family and my community if I can do stuff, you know, if I'm yeah. not a liability, if I'm not physically a liability in any way, like people aren't having to weight hand a foot on me not because you know because they i need them to right it's totally different yeah and i think most men i mean like even when i've gone hunting with older men as an example they're usually there's like this sense of shame you can see it on their face when even if it's it's just because of age and they're older they wish they could still do it right yeah 
but but I think it's always sad when like you go you go out in the you know to on a hunt or you, maybe you're just backpacking or shoot maybe you're you hard day of physical labor around the house and I'm, you get guys together and do it. That guy who's like just overweight and out of shape and just poor circulation, poor health, and he can't keep up. Like it's always a sense of shame, you know. And so you look at that because as a man, you're like, no, I want to be the one carrying the burden for others. You know, I see this in my sons all the time. uh, A year and a half ago, two years ago, I guess now, uh, we killed an elk and my boys, uh, my oldest is, you know, he's 14. He can hack it. No problem. And then my middle, he's kind of at that age where it's like, he's just getting into, you know, some, some puberty and like his hormones are kicking in. He's starting to turn into a man. But he was pretty small at, the, at this point. But I told him, I said, hey, me and your older brother, we're going to go out there and we're going we're gonna to pack this elk out. I'm going to have you stay here with Grandpa. And I didn't hear anything. And I kind of hear like sniffling. And I look in the back seat and he's like crying. And I was like, what's wrong? And he's like, I want to go. I want to go, Dad. And I was like, yeah. okay, this is going <laughs> to suck. I'm telling you, this is going to suck. It's like two miles in. It's like 10 degrees outside, whatever, horrible. And uh, so we give him a frame pack, we put it on him, and it was like, it's all he can do to stand up on the way out. Yep. And, uh, but, but it was such a cool thing because he was like, no, I want to be one of the guys. I want to be carrying the weight. And like three or four times, you know, like he just packs it and his older brother and I would just like grab his pack and like lift him up and his little feet are like dangling. And he finally <laughs> gets them and he goes back. And But man, it was like when we got back and people were like, hey, did you help pack out that elk? And he was like, Yes. Yes, yep. I did. Like, yep. you want to be that guy. Well, this full circle, to be that guy, you got to be physically ready for it, right? Mm-hmm. Th- there's no way around that. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That is mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Yeah, the and, and it makes me think of, I can't remember how long ago you might have written this one, but um, one of my favorite post that you had written was why men need gangs oh yeah and 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 i think this speaks a lot to that just the from the the inter dynamic inner gang kind of dynamic of that 
competition and that like pushing each other because there I, I tend to see now now that I'm now that I'm in my 30s I just turned 30 in April and uh you know now I can now I can say that like oh I'm in my 30s now right I'm an old man and now I'm an old man now and uh but one of the things you always see with guys that are like in their in their thirties and and more is always that hearkening back to like high school football stuff, right? And it's like that because that was they consider that the, the prime of their lives. Sadly, but when you think about it, that was really the last time that they were ever in a environment with other guys, physically demanding and having to do things together. And that is a high like that brings out the best in men. And that's why they still like it. I I don't think it had much to do as much to do with the football part of it, but it was just more like here is this last time I was really in a group of guys that were doing something cool because now I don't have that at all. And so, yeah, I think that's and there's extremely like the, important. There's the physical that's involved in that. Like, I mean, I look back fondly on sports teams, you know, in my in my high school years, but I think the difference is. What I would say now is I, I still want to do those things and you can still yeah. do them. It takes a lot of intentionality, but I think it's still worth pursuing. So we, you know, a good example is like uh, with Refuge and the guys here, like I spent, you know, a year and a half looking for a gang of men where we could, yeah, push each other in the realm of godliness and, you know, being pastors and elders together, but also guys who are like, like, I always love this. There's the meme, and it is so true. Like, a girl's like, do I look fat? And then the other girl's like, oh, no, you look great, honey. And then the dude's like, he, a dude asked his friend, he's like, do I look fat? And they're like, bro, I have three fat friends, and you're two of them. <laughs> yeah. Like, so we, we, we push each other in that way. We're like, bro, you need to, right? you know, come on. And it's also positive, too, because... Men are made, iron sharpens iron. That's what we're told in Proverbs. Men are made to push each other and to test their strength against other men's strength. So I think as men, like you, just because, you know, you're 30 now doesn't mean you don't need that test. You do. Exactly. And so it might be, man, I had a, a friend in Colorado when we were living there and he was like 60. He had just turned 60. And I remember one, one winter day, like we're up in the mountains and he's like, hey, let's go snowshoeing. I was like, great, let's do it. And this dude, like, he pushed himself, right, mm -hmm. all the time, but this day especially. And we got out there, and he was like, he just told me, he's like, I want you to go hard, and I want to keep up with you. It's like, nice. Okay, let's go. Yeah. He did it. We came back. He was like, I may be 60, but I'm not dead. And yeah. even going on a hike like that, like, it was just so good. It, it you know, it strengthened the friendship. Um, you, you feel that sense of competence uh you know that that men need like every man needs yeah. a test sure it looks different when you're you know 15 years old you know my oldest teenage son i'm like dude i'm not i don't know what's wrong with you but i'm not doing that like i remember like if i turn my head wrong at 37 like i might feel that for a week so sleep on the wrong pillow yeah let's slow our roll but still, it's like, yeah, no, I still long to push myself, test myself. Um, again, and, and men need that in, in a group of men. And, and it's one of those things that there are things that you will only get when that group is made up of, of just men. 
like that. And that's one of the things I think get missed a lot. Uh, it's like, you know, I have, I have my, you know, I go to the gym and I, or I train with my wife or, or that kind of stuff. And like that has its place, but there's different, it's just a different environment on purpose. Like that's how it's, there are things that we'll get from being in a group of other men that you will not get outside of that. And that finding that, like you mentioned, like that was one of the first things you guys did when you moved was like spent the first few months, like trying to put that group together. I think that is what's missing from many, many men's lives. And unless it's like big time, unless it's specifically like a, a workout partner or, or like a hunting group or even, but even then like you're relegated to like hunting group, you're relegated to just a couple months out of the year that you're able to even get together. Like it's not this ongoing thing that it should be to continue to pursue growth. Yeah. And I think, I think you're absolutely right. And one of the problems with sort of our, uh, you know, our equality culture, right? You, they want to flatline everything, destroy all distinctions. But the thing is the way God made the world, glory is found in the distinctions. The distinctions are where you find beauty. Um, and, and this includes men and women. And so what I, what I, you know, most people know this, like it's so plain and obvious, but our culture tells us that we shouldn't desire it or seek it. And, and that's that we need segregated spaces for men and women. Like even in churches, that's why you have men's groups and women's groups and stuff like that. Like you need an environment uh, as a man where you can go and be a man among men. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to act totally differently when the women are around, right? The, the conversations mm-hmm. may be different and rightly so. Um you know, this was a big stink with Augusta, the golf tournament, you know, because people were like, yeah. oh, no, women need to be included. And they were basically like, go start your own ladies club. Like, <laughs> right? We're, it's like we're not even allowed culturally. It's politically incorrect just to say that I need male space. But the, the reality is you do. And what I would say is you, you not only need male space, but I think sort of the team element, like two guys is great yeah. if you can do some you know, if you're, you got a spot or whatever, obviously your workload and like your competitive nature is going to go up. But I think if you especially get into like teams of competent men, um, sure. and, and, and it may be that, you know, you got a, a group of guys that go do Brazilian, <laughs> Brazilian jujitsu together. Um, yep. it may be that you go to, you know, again, like you said, a hunting group, guys you go to the range with, you shoot and you train with, uh, whatever it is, because that's not a normal part of life. Like, yeah, I mean, you have the guys at work, but usually those aren't your friends normally right. uh, for right. most guys. Like you go to your corporate job or whatever, and you're like, yeah, I borderline don't like these people, though. <laughs> right. uh, so we're not going to be like the them gang. as much as I have to to work with them. Yes. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's exactly right. So, yeah, I think that becomes vital uh, for men. If you if you want to grow, especially we found this in, in our setting. Uh, I was telling Pastor Dan this after a recent elders meeting. I just listened to everybody give like their recounting of like dealing with, you know, issues in the church and being courageous and competent basically in, in what they've been called to do as elders. And, and I listened to it and they get done and they're like, Eric, what are your thoughts? And I'm like, I need to step up <laughs> because when you recognize you're surrounded by kings and king energy, you realize I, I have to be better. And that's yeah. good. Like that's a good thing. Yeah. That these men around me are pushing me to be better. It's the old, you know, it's one of the most cliched like success quotes ever, but like 
the average of the five people you're around the most. You're like, you're the oh, average man. of the five people you're around the most. Yeah, and big time. W- and and that works to the to the good and to the bad. You know, like if all if if you are the most successful or the fittest or whatever of all the people you hang out with, like there's rarely going to be further progress from there. Like you have to find somebody that you're like, "Ooh, I'm going to try and push to to beat him or to be like him." And it's not from like you said like a vanity kind of thing, but it's like it's just that that drive to actually want to keep pursuing yes. getting better at something. Well, in human nature so often, Ross, is like, people are like, I want to surround myself. Like, I saw a thing on, uh, it was like on a grandma's fridge somewhere. But it was like, Lord, if you can't make me thin, make all my friends fat. <laughs> and I was thinking like, yeah, we act, that's actually true. That's how people act though. It's like, yeah. I know that I suck, so I'm just going to surround myself with people who are just a little worse than me. Yeah. Then I can feel good. So a lot of times what you find is, guys who are like mediocre will always surround themselves with like the most dysfunctional people on the planet. Like they're trying to befriend them and fix their lives. And the reason they're doing that is because it makes them feel like a savior. It's like the savior complex. But what you notice about highly competent people, like so so guys I've hung out with who are CEOs and they started their own businesses and guys who are genuinely like anything from like wealth to physical, usually a lot of it is going together just ballers, king energy guys that that I've spent time with. Man, they're very selective about their core group, who they hang out with. Um, you start realizing like, yeah, it's it's exactly what you're saying with the, the weakest link in the chain. I mean, you look at the statistics, right? Health and fitness is a good one. I think they said if if your friends are overweight, you have like a, this was in Atomic Habits. If your friends are overweight, you have like a 90% chance of being overweight too. Mm-hmm. So this has been hard. Like my wife and I would talk about this in the past. It's like, I don't want to hang out with these people anymore. Like they're <laughs> nice people, but like they're all in debt and they live their lives poorly and they're in really, really, really poor physical health. And they're not like, they're not trying to get better. And so like if we right. keep hanging out with them, I mean, that's our trajectory. So yeah, it's like it, osmosis, like it just morphs into yeah, like it just bleeds out into the surrounding people. Yeah, like if I was hanging out with Ross all the time, I mean, <laughs> let's be real, I would probably look like Schwarzenegger in his heyday. <laughs> so basically, yeah. what I'm saying, Ross, is you probably have failed me by not <laughs> being around more. That's what I'm, we haven't I, hung out enough, is what you're saying. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But uh, but I think it's okay. good too. Like just recognizing that all of life is habits, all of life is discipline. Yeah. And if you want to be a successful person, you got to hang out with people who are competent, successful, quality, high value people. And then the, the I guess one of the things I would say about it too is when you do, you're going to have to deal with imposter syndrome. Yeah. Because, dude, I was hanging out with a guy uh, a week ago and I was just like, this guy is just a straight king. He yeah. is just king in every way, hanging out with his family, getting to know him. And um, in my mind, I'm thinking, I just don't stack up. Right. I don't. I mean, this guy is like on another playing field. You know, it's yeah. kind of like when you're on the field and, you know, you're trying to play defense and you got Adrian Peterson in his heyday running against you. And you're like, man, how Deion Sanders and, and, you know, I'm like <laughs> right. the slow white linebacker like Brian Bosworth. <laughs> 
Dude, the boss was awesome though. <laughs> the boss, he was he was awesome until he played Bo Jackson. Then and even Boz was yeah. like, yeah, dude, Bo Jackson was. Nope. But but nope. to be fair, you know, side note here, one of the greatest running backs of all time. And they were like, oh, he got burned by the boss. I was like, or he burned the boss, and I was like, dude, he, he Bo to. Jackson burned everybody. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever play Tecmo Bowl? Like no one can tackle Bo. Undefeated in Tecmo He's Bowl, undefeated. Bo My Bowl. brother and I, like, we would get in fist fights because he'd be like, I'm gonna be the Raiders. And I'm like, no, yeah. you can't be the Raiders. <laughs> Nobody's no allowed one to be can the be the Raiders. Raiders. <laughs> yeah. Because Bo Jackson cannot be tackled. So yep. yeah, and, and that that's the bottom line. It's like you're gonna have to deal with imposter syndrome. You're gonna have to realize, look, this is a good thing. It's pushing me. I need this. Great. I'll, I'll choose to be around this because I know it'll make me better. The imposter syndrome thing is really interesting because usually usually there's like one of two outcomes of it. It's the, the you feel down on yourself because you're like, boy, I really just don't deserve to be here. And yeah. like, what am I doing here? And you let that take you down that spiral where it's like, no, nah, I, I shouldn't be here kind of a thing. Or you look at it and you're like, like you said before, around your guys in, in church, you're like, wow, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to, I need to step this up. I'm here with these guys. Like I got to represent, you know yeah. what I mean? And I had one of those, um, back in, back in February. Uh, and it was cool because that moment of having that feeling lasted relatively, relatively short amount of time. Went to an event in South Carolina called Winter Strong, put on by uh, Sorenex exercise equipment and it's like they're and, and it was an invite thing so like that alone I'm like okay I got invited to come here that that's cool right you show up and it's like there's it's hunting see like hunting just OG freak athlete guys CEOs of huge companies like just the the biggest gangster military dudes that you can imagine like <laughs> yeah that have been that have been special forces guys for 20 years right there's like olympic athletes that are at this place like and we're all coming together to like share love for the outdoors and we do like uh this big like spartan style obstacle training race with weights oh, out in man. the woods and then there's like shooting aspects to it and there's like lessons throughout the thing with like uh you know we learned archery john dudley from knock on was out there teaching like archery and then there was like survivalist stuff i mean it was like just this whole weekend of just crazy stuff and you like you look around and you're like i'm sitting at a table with a dude who was like an olympic medalist he was like one of the most decorated special forces dudes ever he runs a billion dollar like apparel company and you're just like, oh, man. like what is happening like and it's one of those things you're like how am i sitting at this table but from that it, it went quickly to like boy if i'm gonna come back here again like i gotta i gotta step it up like that same kind of thing so it's that divergent of that, that divergence of thought where you can either let it take you all the way down and just like settle basically like, no, I don't deserve to be in this room, whatever. I'm just going to, I, I, I don't deserve any of that. I'm going to settle and be just little old me over here. Or yeah. you're like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this into like, I want to get invited back. I want to be a part of this. I want to be like the one that some kid in 10 years is like, how am I sitting at the table with this dude? You know? And I think that's yeah. like the, just that, that portion of the mindset part of it, I think is, 
it's it's one choice, but it like it spirals in two directions and can be super positive or super negative. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of the moment that you've got to be able to recognize when it comes and that you have that fork in the road decision. Like everybody's gonna face it. I think that's that's good to know. Uh, I remember watching like David Goggins on uh, Joe Rogan, and he was like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. I- I'll be honest with you. When I came here, like, I was thinking about like, how do I get out of this? Because <laughs> like, I'm a fake, and you know, who cares what I have to say? And you know, everybody mm-hmm. else you're listening to David Goggins, you're like, dude, everybody <laughs> wants to hear what you have to say. You know, right. you, David this guy's Goggins a com- is saying this. Yeah, he's a complete stud, but it makes you realize that look. Uh, if you read the book, The War of Art, Stephen Pressfield, I don't know if you've, have you read that one? Yeah, that's one of the, uh, the, of his nonfiction ones. I think that's the one I've read the most. I read Turning Pro once, but then I've read just mostly his fiction stuff. Other, but War of yeah. Art, I love. Yeah, War of Art is great. He talks about resistance and he applies it to writing, but look, you could apply it to almost anything. Any, and it, what I say in there is anything that is really worth doing, you're going to feel this resistance, which it may be in the form of like, you feel like a phony. Um, I've had like great opportunities come, like opportunities that I had been seeking for a long time or my whole life, whatever. And then they come and you're, you almost like there's a part of you that wants to sabotage it. And you become aware of this. But you're like, I almost don't want to say yes to like a dream job or dream situation. And then you think about it. I was talking to a buddy and I was like, I, I kind of almost don't want to do this. And he was like, what, are you insane? Like, this is what you've been working for. And I was like, yeah, but I feel like if I finally get on stage where I want it in this one way that I wanted and I fail, like, everybody doesn't realize, like, what a fake I am. Like, I'm just phony. And that's, you know, that's, again, why you need brothers. He was like, man, he's like, don't be a coward. He's like, you need to go do this. Like, you're good at this. Shut up and stop acting like a girl and just go (laughs) do it, you know? And, And I think that was, that was really helpful but it, but it really made me realize that moment. And then he was reminding me about the thing about resistance. Um, and we're all going to face that. I mean, and, and it's hard too. I've worked in the firearms industry. And so we're around, you know, like same group of guys, like elite operators, some of the yeah. best in the world. These guys are like really, really good at what they do. But I remember like going to shooting events with them and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And guys that are just like, I remember one dude, they wouldn't even tell us his name. And he was like, I was like, Hey, what's your name? And he's like, uh, Bob. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) yeah, this dude's name is not Bob. He's still active, you know, and just elite, elite training center. And, uh, so we go there, we're shooting and they're like, Eric, you're paired with Bob. And I was like, really? I have to be paired with Bob? Like, I'm going to look like a total doofus. Like, put me with the crappy guy. But it was great because I got paired with him. And I made, like, some early mistakes in, like, the course we were doing. But it was great because this dude was like, hey, look. He's like, I noticed these three things. Do this. Change your grip. Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, it it just had some really great insight. And by the end of it, um, we had, like, this competition. We took. Uh, first place actually I was second he was first and I was thinking like what did I have to do to climb that hill I had to suck up on my pride and be like look if you want to get better you're going to have to be around guys who reveal your weakness Mm -hmm. and Bob whatever his name was Bob was like (laughs) 
Dude, it was so funny during the course too. I, I'll never forget this because one of the other guys was like, Bob was like teaching one of the like sections and the guy was like, um, I've been shooting this way, like you said, and it hurts my hands. <laughs> and Bob just said, he goes, comfort is not a fundamental. <laughs> <That's so laughs> and I was like, that's actually, I'm going to steal that because that's, that's good, good for life. I tell that's my sons good. all the time, you know, good posture, you know, we're packing out elk and like good posture, a good pack, good boots. Mm -hmm. You got all these fundamentals. Comfort's not one of them. I'm sorry. Right. It's right. just going to suck. <laughs> and you got to embrace that. I love it. The, the, the hunting analogy, because that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about too. Because um, I mentioned to you uh, a few days ago that here in a few weeks, I'm doing my first uh, archery hunt. Uh, for elk here in September. Oh, yeah. And um, I've hunted, I've done rifle, you know, for the last several years. Um, I, I started, I got started pretty late in hunting. Uh, I'm, I'm what you would call an adult onset hunter. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, for no other reason than I was just consumed by athletics until yeah. I was out of college. And, you know, when you're playing football, you have zero time in the fall to do anything. Yeah. And so, uh, especially when you, you know, are trying to pursue like higher education athletics, right? Like, and then in, in college, it's a job from a time standpoint. So I didn't get into it until after I got out of college and, uh, did a lot of just basically trying to do st stuff on my own. And, you know, learning curves are very large when oh, you dude. try to learn on your own, especially in the mountains, hunting, right? Like you can only walk around so much and hope to get lucky without actually <laughs> learning from somebody how, here's how you need to do this. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really excited because this is the first year I'm able to go archery and I've been shooting like crazy for the last several months. And the guy that's uh, going to take me up there is like in his, you know, I think he's in his late sixties. He's, t he's touching 70 now, but oh, cool. he is one of, he's one of the guys that I've learned pretty much all of my kettlebell training from. And really? he's, yeah. And he's crazy strong and, and fit and, you know, muscly at, at touching 70 years old. And so, I mean, I mean, like you're given that example of the guy that was wanting to keep up with you in the mountains. And I'm like, I'm thinking I'm going to have to still try to keep up with him. Like he is a mountain goat. And so, but one of these things where the comfort of it, I think, is people are, are expecting the nice boots, the the nice gear, the backpacks to make things comfortable in the mountains. And you're like, that's that's really never going to happen. Like, that's never going to be the case. But I and I can't remember if you and I had talked about it last time we had talked, but one of my favorite analogies was I think one that Stephen Ranella uh, from Meat Eater had said, where he's like, you know, you look back on on fond memories and you think like, do you remember a time you like rode a roller coaster as a kid and you thought that was like awesome because it was such a fun, fun experience in the moment? And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. that was such a sweet roller coaster. You're like, well, no, I don't forget that. But what you do remember is, you remember that time when we were hunting and it was zero degrees and and all of our lights went, like all of our lamps burn out and like we're miserable for two days trekking ten miles. And you're like that was like the most fun I ever had, and like that's <laughs> yeah. how you look, you like you look fondly back on those kind of struggles. And so the hunting thing I think is the, is such a perfect example of how you can go find those good memories in the really sucky 
parts of life. And I think that's, you know, like to kind of bring it all back to what we've been talking about this whole time, like pursuit of growth through discomfort, really, like that's a, such an easy channel to do that in. Yeah, big time. And the, the other thing I, th- I think about it is, you know, you're talking about your older friend. Hunting is one of those things like masculinity. Um, think about something like learning how to like cut stones, you know, to be a, just a, a, any kind of craftsman position, which is what you uh, trade that you would have had in the old world. Could have been welding. Any, but anybody who's exquisite and good at what they do, hunting is like that, especially archery elk hunting. Uh, yeah. Rifle is one thing, but with a bow... You have to, I mean, the the complexity of skill set, you have to know, you know, terrain. You have to know habitat. You have to know uh, being able to read the wind and, and knowing things that are crazy. Like, mm-hmm. okay, at 10 a.m., the wind on the mountain is going to shift. Your, you know, your updrafts and your downdrafts and your, well, that's normally true, except look at the shape of this valley. So it's actually the opposite. <laughs> and you're in the bottom of the valley, not at the top of a peak. So... I mean, there's so many things like that that my point would be with all of it, hunting as well as masculinity, we need masters to train under. Like, there's no, you can't read like a manual about bow hunting and then just be, because I've tried that, where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm I'm reading like Bow Hunter Magazine and oh yeah, now I'm going to know how to go out and hunt and then go hunt and you're like, I suck at this. (laughs) and, And what it really took was, Uh, A few guys in my life, same deal, where I was like, okay, look, I don't know anything about this. I want to get into it, and I need you to help me and and show me the ropes. And through a couple guys, I've learned a ton about it, you know, 10 years doing it, and then I'm like still at the point where it's like I'm basically a rookie. I mean, that's what's crazy about this. And these guys, like one of my buddies, Mike, he's just – He's just a freaking guru when it comes to elk. He's like invented his own bugling. And I'm like, I've never, nobody bugles like this. And where did you learn this? He's like, I don't know. Me and my buddy just like, we'd come out here and for like two months, we'd just like call elk. We'd listen to them. We'd call back. We'd see what worked. And yeah. we we would play with all these different things, you know? And um, I, I, I think it's just such a good picture because like one of the reasons we don't have men in our era is we don't have mentors. We don't have masters. Mm. And then, so think about culturally, what happens when we're trying to learn bow hunting and there isn't the old guy who knows how to do it. Yeah. Right. Masculinity is even harder than bow hunting. Like learning how to be a competent man in today's world, especially is like, it makes bow hunting look like child's play. And bow hunting is insanely hard. Like you got to learn how to call (laughs) again, read when not to mention, we haven't even talked about like learning how to shoot the dang bow. And be proficient with the bow, (laughs) especially when there's an animal on the line and like your margin of error is like zero and you're like, oh, I, you know, there was a slight leftward breeze. And so I missed the animal completely on that shot. I mean, it's just insane. The the number of factors alone that go into it. It's, it's one of those things where I, like you said, you're, you can get 10 years in and then just realize you're still a rookie. I, you know, I started... About a year and a half ago, I started uh, jujitsu, right? And then in I, I got my blue belt in March of this year. And the 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 thing that I said was like, when you're a white belt, it's you you don't know what you don't know, 
Like, yeah, there's so much. You just have no idea what you don't know. When I got my blue belt, I was like, I still don't know any of it, but I know that I don't know any of it now. Yes. Like, it's, there's, I, I'm not completely ignorant to all of these things I don't know. It's, I, yeah. I'm just now acutely aware of all of these things. I still can't, I still don't know them, but that's, well, that's kind what of, a, it's the same progression. We had a seminary professor and he said, somebody said, oh, you're really smart. You have a PhD. And he goes, having a PhD means that you know how much you don't know now. Yeah. That's what I've learned through this whole process. There's like a whole yeah. body of knowledge that you like you have no clue. And you never will. Like most of it you won't you won't have the full range of expertise to know it. But I think those again, those experiences are good for men too, because I think about the Apostle Paul says that we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And mm. and part of the way we get there is that you you're put in these experiences where you go, Yeah, no, I actually realize how little I know now. So yeah. that I can make a more accurate assessment of myself. Yeah. And that will help me formulate a plan to actually get better. So if it's, you know, even something like kettleball, like this conversation, you're talking about kettleball. And I was I was thinking, man, I'd love to get into kettleball training. That'd be really cool. Um, but I know nothing about it. And so like most guys, you know, what do you what do you do when you know nothing about it? You're like, okay, well, I'm gonna stay away from that because whoever I talk to about it, I'm gonna have to go, hey man, I don't know Jack. And right. I want to feel like a competent dude, but I don't know anything about that. And mm -hmm. I've always thought it's cool because like with kettleball, uh, I know like Bill Rapier was doing that for his training and that guy's a beast. So I was like, okay, I want to, I, I would love to get into it. But the other thing I like about it is I, I've done so many different workout plans. Um, and recently it was doing the, uh, like the starting strength stuff and yeah. they're like, uh, Mark Ripito, like he's just obsessed with squats. And I was like, for a while, Marvel I was like, oh yeah. I was like, oh yeah, squats are great. And then I like really hurt my back like doing squats. And I was like, bleep this. I hate squats. <laughs> but, but it made me realize I was like, okay, well, clearly there's some things I got to work on here. Mm. But in the meantime, it's like, well, that's the beauty of a lot of the, like Bill Rapier, a lot of his stuff is just body weight. Because yeah. that's, you don't need a lot for it. And for what he does being in the mountains, it's like, I mean, if you want to call Bill soft or something, like, be my guest. Bill will kill you with his hands, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. So the, I, I do have a question, Ross, because yeah. I feel like it's tradition that when I come on your show, I have to... You switch and interview me. <laughs> I, have to, I have to interview on some things. because I always follow your stuff and I'm like, dude, I got so many questions. So if, if a guy was going to get into kettleballs... Uh, before we talk about training programs, like, because yeah. I want to ask you, what would you do? But the other thing is uh, weights. Like, which weights, generally, average guy, which size weights would you typically be buying? That's a really good question, and one that I get very frequently. So I'm glad that you asked it too. So uh, if we're going like bare minimum setup, I usually say you can go with three different weights like if if you're all you're trying to do is just like i want the bare minimum like i, I don't want to spend a ton of money like i just got a patio or a garage i'm training in right? i'm going to get three cowbells right so two of them are going to be the same weight so you can press and carry and have the same weights one of them is going to be heavier so you can do squats and swings and that kind of stuff so for most guys those two matching weights are going to go between like anywhere from 35 to 45 pounds because those are going to be your your pressing bells 
and those are so gonna be for the ones me you can it'd be like, like seventy five pounds naturally. Yeah, exactly. Probably maybe yeah. even more than that if you're gonna okay. start pressing, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you're going to do farmer carries, you're gonna do presses. You're gonna do stuff in a front rack and walk with these or squat or you know anything you would use with both hands together. I like to have matching weights, and so that's usually a good starting point. Thirty five we'll to forty five. 35 to 45 pounds for the matching set. And then we'll do one heavier one that you can hold goblet style on your chest and squat, or you can do single hand carries, or you can do kettlebell swings. And for that, I usually would recommend, uh, like, because most kettlebells are done in, uh, like, kilos, unless you purposefully buy them in pounds, and then they're different weights. But a 24 kilo is 53 pounds. And that's usually what I would say for, like, this, the one that's heavier. You go... 35 or 40 pounds-ish for the two matching, and then you get, like, a, a 24 kilo for the, the swing bell. And honestly, like, you really wouldn't need much else for a long time until you just, like, need get, more weight. Get really good and, at that. Yeah. Do you and, have and a, with, Have ahead. you ever done an episode on kettleballs? I've done a couple. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a couple of the short solo ones. Um, I don't remember how far back they were. I think they're probably pretty early on. So, I mean, I'm almost 150 episodes into this thing now. So, I'd Dude. have to go back and find you which episodes they yeah, were. Yeah, I'll look but. at them. I just want to link them for – I'm going to link it for the guys in the Hard Men podcast because I know some people have asked about that. And I was like, I don't know. Check yeah. out Ross's stuff. This guy's a – yeah, I'll go back beast, and I'll find like so. the actual episode numbers. Um, okay. But there was there was one that I did like kind of a startup, startup thing. Um, and then like a garage gym setup episode that I talked about them a bit in there too. But, uh, th I mean, they're just so versatile that especially if you're wanting to train like budget friendly, right? You can really do everything that you would need to do with just a few pieces of equipment. And like, I do a lot of stuff with sandbags too, and you can DIY some pretty gnarly sandbag stuff to do like just to get some dead weight stuff to do carries and presses and squats and all that kind of stuff. Like it can be pretty minimal, pretty cheap to get all of that going and really have more than you'd ever need. Well, I noticed that a lot too with, uh, what there's like a mountain tough fitness is I think the one that's always using them, but they, they have like these, yeah. like, it's like the ruck bags and the ruck. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I mean, all that stuff's great, but it's like a bag with sand in it, which, yeah. <laughs> Hey, good for them for turning that into a business. But right. at the same time, like a lot of these are, yeah, you could do with kind of minimal. And I think that's good for a lot of people because, I mean, I built a home gym with, with weights, Olympic weights. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're talking like a rack and bars and bumper plates. Like it gets pretty spendy. I bought my you stuff You could be used. a couple grand into it pretty quick yeah. and not Easy. really think about it, you know? Easy. Yeah, like so we got used. We found like high school gyms that were closing and nice. bought old bu bumper plates and stuff like that. But still, yeah, I mean, it's a couple grand. Yeah. That, and, and that's for uh, like a cheaper cheaper setup. Exactly. It's the and, – and that's why I like the sandbags because – the, the weight of sandbags is in, I've, I've made this analogy before on, on previous episodes, but I think there's a, I think it's Henry Rollins had the old quote. That's like 200 pounds is always 200 pounds. Like no matter what you go in, like it doesn't matter if you're, if you're not feeling it that day or if you're feeling great or whatever, like it's always going to be 200 pounds on bar. And I would argue and say, unless it's 200 pounds in a sandbag, because <laughs> yeah. picking up a 200 pound sandbag is so much harder 
in my opinion, than picking up 200 pounds on a barbell. It because well, the weight shifts, you've got open palm, you're not like actually gripping anything. You're like open palm, it's moving around, and it's just literally dead weight. And so it's totally different, but it challenges you in such a better way. Um, but that's why I love them because you don't actually need to go buy 800 pounds worth of stuff for barbell equipment. Like I could have 250 pound sandbag be the heaviest thing I own and I'll get wrecked by it. Oh, dude. Well, and that's the thing too is the, um, you, that principle plays out when you're, I was thinking, like you kill a bull elk and you're on the ground trying to like roll it on its back, trying to, trying to get like a hind quarter up while you're cutting it off at the hip uh, for quartering. But then like, carrying quarters in a backpack. It, it's kind of like the sandbag thing, even like lifting them up to get them on the bag, get them on somebody's back. It's like, this thing is not like, you know, the bar and everything, it's like linear, you know, weight dispersion and power and the way that you lift where it's like, you're on the side of a hill, like one leg is doing 90% mm -hmm. of the work. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not a gym environment and it's really tough. Right. But I, one time, we killed a cow and we we're idiots and I didn't have my pack with me. I just like, cause my guy, <laughs> my guy was in the truck and he was like, Hey, go up this trail. I see some elk, just run up there real quick. I'll bring your pack. I'm like, okay, cool. So we go and we shoot two cows, me and a couple buddies and my son. And, uh, yeah, we get there and he shows up and I was like, where's my pack? And he's like, Oh bro, I forgot it. <laughs> and so like, we're trying to quarter these out and then like the truck's like two miles away. So yeah. he's like, we're going to do this Indian style. And I was like, what are you talking about? So on the, on the cow elk, he cuts it off above. The, so we get the hindquarters, it's gutted and everything. Yeah. But then he cuts above the pelvis where the, the lower, like the two hindquarters are still connected by the pelvis. Sure. Okay. So like picture this, like the butt cheeks of the cow are on my back right here. And I'm yeah. holding the legs Both in front legs of me. out over the side. So yeah. it's like this cow elk lower backpack. That wrecked me. I mean, <laughs> I, bet, dude. I was like, this can't be that hard because we're going downhill. It was absolutely atrocious. But, but, oh, but again, it, it was like if you just threw two giant sandbags on your shoulders mm -hmm. and then tried to walk with it for two miles. And the thing was, it was... <clears throat> It, like I was where I was most sore is it just wrecked my shoulders. Upper I back. I mean, because I'm doing yep. this the whole time, you know, yep. arms up, weight on your back. We got to the truck and I was just like, I just like laid down in the trailer, like <laughs> in the snow. My back was covered with blood. And he was like, what was funny is Mike was like, oh, we do this all the time. It'll be good. And we get to the truck and he goes, dude, I've never seen anybody do that. You got to be stupid. <laughs> Well, here I was like, "Thank you. I'm glad I could, I, I'm glad That's I could awesome. be a part of it." He's Provides like taking photos the for whole everybody. time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, it, dude. Oh man, that's awesome. Well, man, we're right about at an hour, so uh, thank you for making the time and coming on. It's good to catch up, man. We'll have to uh, talk more frequently than than what we do and and just connect and stuff. Where is all of the media projects that you guys have going, plug them all so everybody can follow and, and follow along with what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So we got erichahn.com. That's where you can find the Hard Men podcast. We have got Kings Hall. And uh, I think that one is a .org. King, I'd have to verify that one. 
<laughs> shows how much I go to my own website. But yeah, King's Hall is on there. You can find King's Hall, iTunes, Spotify, all the podcasts will be there. Um, be sure to check out Brian and Lexi Sauve, Bright Hearth podcast. Um, and that is briansauve.com. You can find all of his stuff. A lot of g- great music from Brian too on there. Mm-hmm. He's doing a, mm-hmm. a, a lot of psalm projects, some catechism songs. Um, so a lot of really great stuff. And then we're on Twitter, Facebook. You can find me at Twitter, Eric, E-R-I-C underscore C-O-N-N. Pretty easy. And you'll know it's my account because there'll be a lot of feminist hate on there. And <laughs> I love them and they hate me. I don't get it, but we have some They're good your biggest fans, man. They're the most interactive. They're the biggest fans. That's right. That's right. You got to love that. All publicity <laughs> exactly. is good publicity mostly sometimes. <laughs> mostly sometimes. Uh, too funny, man. Well, thanks again, man. I appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks, man. We'll talk. Mm-hmm.